actually thought of um something we should have said last week a really funny guy what's that oh. right so so susan lewis was last week's guest yes. she's talking about george clooney's pot pig right uh-huh. she, but but susan and, and, and george clooney was a character on, on er i'm oh, sorry was an actor on er yes and susan head lewis, jiggle head jiggle man and susan lewis was a character on, on er ah uh, yes that's a uh, she should have gone up to him and been like my yes, name's Susan Lewis. Exactly. You'd have loved yeah. that. I mean, to be fair, if she had just approached him and said, "Hello, I'm I'm Susan Lewis," and stared at him to get the joke, <laughs> that might have freaked George out. Also, oh, your pigs just killed my dog. I, he would have just shaken his head, or <laughs> smiled, and wandered off. <laughs> uh, he was oh. like a living. Um, what are those dogs called? The bobblehead dolls. Patch kids. Bobbleheads, yeah, yeah. yes. Yeah, that's what he was like in those days. Uh, uh, there I go again, I'm slagging off George. You really acting. hate George Clooney. <laughs> no, I don't. I love, but... I love how you can, this criticism you've got of his, of his acting. I know. He's very successful Hollywood actor. <laughs> like, one of, yeah, one of the biggest <laughs> actors in Hollywood. I'm just like... Yeah. Don't get him started on Chris Nolan. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that is a podcast in and of itself. <laughs> but we can maybe save that for another episode. After we've had Chris Nolan on the podcast, perhaps. Obviously, yeah. Don't, not, not, don't ruin our chance of getting the guy on by ripping him off. Um, but anyway, I should have said at the start that this is episode 180 of Page wow. One, the writer's podcast, where we like to speak to writers of all kinds about their writing careers, find out how they got into the industry, and try and get as many hints and tips as possible. Uh, and we have another great guest this week. We do. We haven't said our own name. Is that... Oh, yes. Yeah, sorry. We've, we've thrown ourselves by, by, by starting with the crazy banter. Everything is off this week. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm Marco. <laughs> I'm Tarek. And we are joined by a very exciting guest this week, Gareth Rubin, who is a journalist. Um, oh, he started, he started off as a journalist, mm-hmm. uh, writing about social affairs, travel and the arts for various newspapers. Um, he directed a documentary in 2013 about therapeutic art at the Bethlehem Royal Hospital in London entitled Bedlam and his books he's written three books the first of which is Liberation Square set in Soviet occupied London then The Winter Agent about British agents in Paris on the eve of D-Day and his news book is The Turn Glass which is a Tet Besh book which for those that don't know what that is and I didn't know what that was until recently it's two stories which are back to back in a book one of which is upside down and back to front so you can yeah. read the book forward it's printed over and read it it's printed so that you can pick the book up either way and it looks like yeah. you're at the start of the book very cool um and each story is is printed entirely one way and the other one the other way and yeah you can read it in either in either direction one is the earlier story is an elizabethan gothic i think and the second mm-hmm. one is an american noir but there is overlap between some of the characters and themes of the story. So yeah. it is a complete book. You have to read both to get the full experience. That's, whereas traditionally a Tetbesh was two separate unrelated stories. But I think it can be, yeah. I think he gives the example in, of like you would get a Bible and uh, another religious text ah, that's right, with it yeah, or something like that. Yeah. 
No. Just easy. <laughs> easy. Sell it to the, one, print one, sell it to two, two different people. No, it's, that, it's that is not what happened. <laughs> but um, before we get ourselves into trouble talking about that, I think we should just get straight <laughs> into the podcast. Uh, and we will be back at the end of the podcast with a bit more chat and to let you know about next week's guests. Guests, in fact. Oh, yes. But for now, on with the podcast. The blank page. To some, it's terrifying, an obstacle to overcome. But we prefer to think of it as an opportunity, a blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures and characters in our head. So how to overcome that fear? Well, we all know the best advice for a writer is, write. Seriously, get words on the page and more will follow. But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? Structure and planning. As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down, or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings. Or sometimes we'll make a note in whatever notebook we're carrying or a document on our laptop so we don't forget that great idea. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realise it's not just a story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made page one. Page one is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project divided into easy-to-use sections that will help you plan your story so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. And then afterwards, once it's written, we realised you need to plan how to let people read it, so we included a section relating to submissions. Each one is designed for one project, whether you want to write a book, screenplay, a comic or any other kind of story. We truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait to read what you come up with. And remember... Every story starts with page one. Did you always want to be a writer? Because when I was uh, preparing for this interview, I saw that you went to acting school, in fact. I did. Um, Well, I went to university, uh, Red English University in St Andrews, uh, before it was quite as trendy as it is now. Um, (laughs) And uh, when I was there, I did a lot of acting and I wanted to become an actor towards the end of university and um but i knew also i was also quite sensible i knew that if you work as an actor you actually spend most of your time acting in cafes and working in restaurants and like um uh the old joke oh you're an actor what restaurant do you work at anyway um, (laughs) and uh but i was quite also quite sensible and decided i should get some kind of profession behind me where i could actually you know earn enough to buy bread and uh rent so uh, I trained as a journalist. So I, I did postgrad in journalism straight after the university. Worked as a journalist for five, six years. Actually, I had a whale of a time, uh, to be honest, because it was the tail end of the good times in journalism mm-hmm. before the bottom fell out of the market and, and uh, there were massive cutbacks and no one had any money and newspapers all started closing down. But I was there. Um, I started in uh, 1999, basically, uh, when they saw some money floating around. And I had a great time. I did a lot of traveling, met some amazing people, did some really interesting articles. Thoroughly enjoyed it. But after about six years, I decided 
um actually i wanted to kind of pursue the acting nonsense for a while so i went to drama school did a postcard there and uh after that did spent uh for six eight years i suppose uh combining the two working as a journalist and doing a bit of acting here and there a few shakespeare tours a bit of stage stuff and um then the, the, the acting sort of dried up and I'd, I'd had enough of it. Uh, I spent, just worked getting as a journalist for, for a couple of years and then decided to start writing books. So my first couple of books were um, non-fiction humour books. And then I started writing novels about uh, five or six years ago. So my third one has just been published uh, called The Turn Glass. Um, doing, doing a hell of a lot better than the others. Uh, first one of mine to get onto Sunday Times bestseller list. So, so that's a bit of a break. Um, and actually, that's just a potted history. The uh, the answer is I didn't know. I didn't always want to be a writer. Um, I always kind of quite enjoyed writing. It was always, I guess, at the back of my mind. But there were other periods when I was doing uh, other things. I had other things very much in my mind. And, and so, I mean, if if we can sort of take take that that potted history in steps, you, you worked as a journalist, but then. You wrote, as you said, sort of these humorous non-fiction books. Um, did that, how did they come about, I guess? Were, were they just ideas that you had or was that something that came about as a result of your work in journalism? No, just ideas I had when um, I had an idle moment sitting around in my friend's bar. Um, they, yeah, there, there, there's no... Uh, there, there's a, a bit of a story about one of them that... Um, uh, it was, I, I, my first book was Guide to Britain's Worst Tourist Attractions, which kind of had the idea on a dreadful date with a Polish girl, um, um, <laughs> which is actually a very nice Polish girl, but the, the date, date was pretty awful. Anyway, um, and the, the, the other one, which was a uh, history of how Britain's, the, the course of Britain's history has been changed by people making mistakes. Um, I haven't the faintest idea how I came up with that idea. It just <laughs> came to me one night when you know i was i don't know watching late night tv or something um uh and uh yeah just competed at those wrote them up got paid kind of a pittance for it but it was you know it's kind of fun to get uh a book out on the shelves uh so there they were and they're still out there i don't um i'm not kind of ashamed of them but um but they they don't really uh obviously can fit with the kind of the novel genre mm. which uh I write now so so don't really kind of pursue them but you know they're out there they're I mention from time to time enjoy doing them and and so what is it that made you think right I'll, I'll have a go at writing fiction then mm, I don't know uh again probably had uh an afternoon with very little uh to do a lot of time on my hands so what happens when you're a freelance journalist. You spend a lot of time watching daytime television, <laughs> daydreaming, uh, walking the dog, thinking about shoplifting. Um, <laughs> and I don't know. It, it just seemed to me I could either shoplift or I could write a novel about murder. Uh, <laughs> and it just seemed to make much more sense, really. Uh, it's more more in keeping with, with what my mum wanted for me. <laughs> so... Your first fiction book was Liberation Square. Um, it was. Why don't you tell us, you know, what happened? Where did the kernel of that idea come from? What, what, or, 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 or where? Did, how did you decide to take it? Mm. Well, it's, it's um, for the um, very few people who haven't read it. 
Um, it's um, a murder mystery set in Soviet-occupied London. Uh, so it's it's high concept, um, alt history with with quite a lot of murder thrown in, and suspicion. It's my some of my favourite books are. Um, uh, I, I'm a huge fan of Rebecca by uh, Du Maurier, mm -hmm. and um, there's quite a lot of Rebecca in in uh, Liberation Square because it, the the murder it, it or the the crime is essentially a um, um, a sort of glamorous ex-wife of the central character's husband um, is, is is murdered, um, and there's suspicion as to whether or not he did it the she did it some third party did it anyway and uh, this is all set uh, within this old history structure of uh, soviet occupied london which I, I just found quite interesting to kind of uh i live in london i'm not from here originally but i live here and it's quite interesting to kind of walk the streets and see where the wall which which i posit in, in the book runs and kind of snakes up up regent street which is kind of famous you know, hugely famous mm -hmm. Uh, central uh, street in London. Mm -hmm. I kind of wonder what life really must have been like, you know, kind of being on one side of the wall and seeing your family on the other side of the wall or not seeing them, knowing they're there, knowing they're 12 metres away from you, not being able to talk to them, just being kind of divided from the life that you knew. And of course, you know, th this is obviously what happened to the people of, of Berlin, that suddenly one day they were literally just kind of cut off from, from their mm -hmm. jobs, from their friends, from their family. From the the the, the places they they used to walk and buy their bread and their milk, and um, you know that that kind of upheaval is as dreadful, I imagine, as as the kind of war that, uh, or almost as dreadful, I guess, um, in some ways as, as the war that, that they'd been through in terms of you know dividing yourself from yourself. And, and anyway, what, so so that's where yeah. that book came from. And and what was the you know the road to publication with that one did you have an agent already with the with the other books you had done or did you have to find an agent um, I, I i had agents but they, they weren't interested in representing me for uh um for fiction uh which is fine you know it's it's mm -hmm. you know what what they did um so i had to get a new agent um so i wrote it up or at first draft um showed it to friends got feedback from friends which is an important part of the process. But I think one of the um, issues that, that new authors uh, come across, one of the mistakes they, that they often make is showing uh, your manuscript to friends who are going to be too positive. People, yeah. Basically people who are far too close to you. A, a much better person is someone you slightly know and doesn't like you very much. Uh, <laughs> because... What you really need is criticism. You know, yeah. praise is great. It's really, it's really nice, but it's absolutely useless if you're trying to write a book um, or at least get the, your book published. What you really need is somebody who hates it, somebody who finds all the problems with it and bangs on and on about them until you give in and change them. Mm -hmm. Because everyone's opinion is is valid, is as valid as the next guy's. So the, a reviewer's opinion of your book is no more important, frankly, than your next door neighbor's, um, as long as it's a genuine opinion, because the, the people you, you're trying to sell your book, you should never, you know, no author, no writer should ever lose sight of the fact that, that you're, you're, this is a publishing industry. It's not a publishing hobby. Mm -hmm. um, you're trying to sell your book and the uh, the people on the street who are as likely to be your 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 uh, buyers 
um, are the ones who, who whose opinion you care about. And, you know, there are 10,000 of them on the street with 10,000 different opinions. So you, you what you want to do is find someone who has, uh, you know, who thoroughly dislikes a lot of your book and and work on those parts. And, you know, you can try to kind of boost a little bit the bits they do like, but it's sorting out the problems of, of with your book, which which is what you need to spend 80% of your time doing. And and how did you find all this this kind of kind of process? Obviously, this is, this was the first fiction book you'd written. You'd written a couple of factual ones already, but but this kind of editing process, you know, was it? Obviously, you had a lot of experience doing this in your books and your in your in your journalism job. Was it similar? Was it something you're used to, or did it, was it harder because it was fiction? Um, it was a bit harder because because it was fiction. It's true, partly because um, nonfiction when you're writing uh, before you get the a contract for the book, you only write a sample, you write only write 10,000 words. Whereas if you're writing a novel, you're writing 100, 110,000, um, which um, is just a, so much more commitment of your life, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, you know, it's the point where you're, you're sort of missing friends, birthdays, whatever, and um, you're spending a lot of time on your own rather than just kind of fitting a bit of writing around other things. And the the articles when when I I wrote they you know they take me a day or two days instead of best part of a year which is what Liberation Square took me before then I should also say that I, I'd written a couple of other novels which just ne- never got published and never have been published okay. one of which is dreadful and never will be um, another one uh, which I think is quite a good note I would like to get published one day maybe uh, but it's just kind of sitting at the bottom of my laptop. Um, um, because it it doesn't quite fit with the kind of books I'm writing right now, so maybe some point in you know a few years time I'll I'll drag it out. Mm-hmm. But also that that's also something that that you know new writers have to get used to that that is spending a lot of time on something which never goes anywhere. Yeah, the, yeah. the most most successful authors um, have a lot of unpublished books behind them. I think it was I think Alistair McLean. Um, I think Where Eagles Dare, I think was his 13th book and the first to get published or something wow. crazy like that. Um, so you, you have to expect it. Of course, you know, some people write their their, their first manuscript yeah. and send it out to agents and send it out to 10 agents and 10 of them say they want to represent them and they get a £500,000 advance from the, the first publisher it's sent, it sent to. But they're one in 50. Yeah. Um, the vast majority of writers wrote write uh, books which never get anywhere, and then you know find success with their third, fourth novel. So uh, you you need you need to be ready for you know three years of slog before you get anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. And and so how how did you find your agent? What was your journey there? Was it a lot of querying, or did you get picked up fairly soon? Um, I got picked up fairly soon. Uh, well, with with the one which got published, mm. um, the, those which never got published, know that, that that nobody was kind of interested in, in representing them, which is probably why they was never published. But the the, the Liberation Square, um, yeah, I, I think I sent I don't know how many agents I sent it to, twenty five maybe, right. and two or three offered to represent me, which isn't a bad strike rate. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I do say to um, new authors is um, you get uh, in, in all this sort of authors advice books they always say target your your um, which agents you're going to go to look through a list see if they're going to be a good match that's rubbish sent to absolutely <laughs> everyone because if you get one out of a hundred who, who, who 
office to represent you, you're doing well. Yeah. yeah. You've got to put, put a lot of legwork in and I'm sorry, agents. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm apologizing to my agent now who, who's probably going to get a mountain <laughs> of, of uh, uh, requisition letters, but um, it's the way it is. You, you, yeah. Don't, don't target it because unless you, you're writing neck blockbuster, you, you're lucky if you get one who's offering to represent you out of all the agents in the country. Yeah, absolutely. And and so Liberation Square uh, came out and then uh, the winter agent quickly followed that. Was it a two book deal that you got when you were? It was. Up? It was yeah. from Penguin. Um, and then, uh, yes, yeah, so, so the, um, which actually came out a year after. Unfortunately, a year after Liberation Square, it was lockdown. Mm-hmm. So it came out in the absolute depths of lockdown. The, 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 basically a month into the very first lockdown when nobody knew what the hell was going on. Yeah. All the bookshops were closed. The bakeries were closed. You know, everything was closed. So literally people couldn't buy the book. Uh, they couldn't even get it from Amazon. Even Amazon couldn't get hold of it. Uh, which is a real pity because I do like that book. I think it's mm-hmm. some of my best work. Um, and, for, and it got good reviews. Unfortunately, people literally couldn't buy it. Yeah. I, was, I often wonder, how do how do publishers look at that kind of, you know, a horrible, perfect storm of things just happening outside your control like that? Because obviously everyone talks about, you know, you're going to hit your sales targets and you want to get your advance paid back, et cetera, et cetera. But there's, when something like that happens, which is, you know, you've got no control over it. They've got no control over it. People just physically cannot buy the book, and it must impact sales. Mm. Is that? Do they take a quite a understanding view of that, or is it still quite stressful? I don't know. Um, the fact is that yeah, the sales are very low for understandable reasons. Um, um, I didn't, you know, I didn't earn out my advance. Probably never will on that book. Um, the you know, the publishers just well, there's nothing they can do, nothing I can do. Um, I mean, they're not going to re-release it. That would be no. pointless. Yeah, I think they just, it was, it was Penguin. I think they just took the hit. There's nothing else that can be done, really. Yeah. yeah. And and uh, so your new book you mentioned uh, at the start is uh, The Turn Glass. Um, and as we'll discuss in a moment, it's got it's got what is certainly these days quite an unusual uh, structure. But do, do you want to tell us a little bit about, about The Turn Glass? Sure. Um, well, the structure you mentioned, um, it's called a Tet Besh book. Um, that means that it's two uh, two stories printed back to back and head to foot. So you read the first story, uh, which finishes about halfway through the book, then flip the book over head to foot and you read the other one. And you can read them in uh, either direction, which either one first, and they're devilishly entwined. Um, so that uh, when you read the, the first story um although they're both they they are both standalone stories so you could in theory just read one and it would make sense you read the first one and then you read the second one and the first you you get a whole new perspective on the first one um yes it's it's an unusual structure uh tetbesh they were um, not unknown uh they're all better known in 18th 19th centuries um when they were used for printing two books uh, back to back, They're very often religious books. So you, you get a Bible and uh, um, a book uh, and a, a Psalter or something on the on the other side. Okay. Um, occasionally, people do it with novels or uh, with uh, sort of non-fiction books, which go together as pairs. Um, but they, you know, for economic reasons, quite simply, that they, they'd print them together within a single binding. So as my book, my book um, has essentially sort of two front covers. Uh, a blue one and a red one, and you can start with either, or you can uh, w- what 
some people have done is you can read a chapter from each alternating yeah. and that's um yeah. i think that's that's the kind of dungeon master level uh, <laughs> reading experience uh i'm impressed with people who've done that but they, they seem to find it really interesting and really sort of immersive to do it that way and and uh, well i was going to ask this what did your how did you pitch that what did your editor or mm. agent say when when you said this is what i'm going to do for my next book well my agent um John John Wood um, is he's uh, who's previously an editor. He's previously a publisher uh, at Orion, so he you know he knows the industry from every direction, which is great. Um, and I put it to him, and he just he just thought it's it's a brilliant idea. He, he, you know, we were bouncing a few ideas around, and he he said, yeah, absolutely, that's the one to go for. People and, are going to be so interested, and yeah. and they were. Um, yeah, um, we got a number of so when, when we we sent it out. Uh, we got a number of responses. Quite a lot of them were, uh, "What the hell is this? Um, ha- have you lost your mind? Uh, get out of this office, or we're calling the police." Um, but a few of them uh, were more positive. Yeah, the, the, I, I call those the undecided. Uh, um, a few of them uh, more, more positive, and um, we got some really good uh, offers. And uh, in the end, with, went with Simon Shifter because my, my editor, editor there, who I, I happen to know personally as well he's just a great editor and i was really happy to um to go to go with to go with her brilliant now the 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 voices of each kind of half of the book are are very are very different you know one's a kind of american noir and one's a kind of english victorian historical vibe and you know it was obviously that was a conscious choice to make them feel very very different even though they're interlinked and was it difficult to to drop in and out those voices to change, or did you did you write one and then flick over to the other one? Yeah, I, I essentially wrote the. You're right that one side's American noir and the other's essentially for English classic English Gothic. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote the, the English Gothic, then the, then the American noir, but I had to kind of keep you know turning back and, and changing bits because because they are very intertwined and you know they're clues to each in, in the other story. Um. Which is quite—it was quite an interesting kind of, I guess, kind of intellectual exercise in a way. <clears throat> but it was um, the, the the voices, the the the, the uh, tone of of the two. Um, yeah, that that it's quite—it is quite interesting that the um, you know, the n- n- narrative voice of an English noir novel is is very different to to an American hard boiled noir. Mm-hmm. And um, it was quite fun, actually, kind of playing with those two um, and kind of working out, um, you know, what words that the uh, a third person narrator in an English Gothic novel uses, which would never be in an American lexicon. So the, the English noir is set in um, the 1880s, the American, uh, sorry, the, the English Gothic in, in 1880s Essex. The American noir is in 1939 America, and so I had to do research not in not only into um, you know what the sort of, um, uh, what the, the status of, of people was in those times, what what the buildings were like, but also into what the slang was, mm-hmm. what uh, and what kind of um, rhythm people had when when they were speaking. It's it's interesting um, that Gothic, the English Gothic and American noir are essentially you know it's inversions of of each other. And the, the book is all about inversion, so you, you physically turn it over. And it's about people whose uh, state is kind of inverted. 
and it's about um two houses one both called Turnglass house one of which is you know an inversion of the other and uh, and it was it's english it's interesting because the, the american noir is essentially an an upside down version of english gothic the the tone the style the um english gothic is all about people isolated in, in country houses or uh, uh, sort of medieval gothic towers in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. where they're haunted by ghosts and yeah and there's they can't see who's after them whereas american noir is set in the city and and it's the per, the the hero character is is surrounded by people that but he feels very isolated and he can see all around him the people he has to go after mm-hmm. instead of you know not being able to see them and um you know the streets are are very busy instead of being uh, empty so that they, they are Noir and Gothic are up-down versions of each other, and it's, it's interesting because you know when American writers of the nineteen thirties and nineteen twenties started writing, the, you know, the Chandlers, um, uh, Dashiell Hammett, etc. They they always they they took basically English Gothic by the scruff of the neck, flipped it upside down, and stuck it in Los Angeles, um, and did something really interesting with it. And I was just kind of. I enjoyed. I, I really did enjoy playing with those two different styles and different traditions. That's very and, cool. Uh, yeah, it is. And and it sounds like, given you're writing two different stories, but there are, there are all these interlinked things. I mean, did you spend time outlining it, planning it out, or are you more of a sort of pantser pantser type writer? I'm very much the pantser. The um, which it sounds a really weird thing to say. Um, the yeah, I'm I'm terrible at planning. I. I I gave up, you know, after my first book or two, the ones which never got anywhere, I gave up trying to plan books. I, I'm just no good at it. I'm very jealous of people who can. Um, I will, but whenever I, I try planning out chapter by chapter, uh, a book, I just veer off 10 minutes into the book into complete off at a tangent. And all I've done is waste a couple of days of planning time. Um, no, I just, uh, I have a, Beginning, I start with usually start with an image, a visual image of, of for the book, and I have a vague idea where where it's heading at, towards the end. But the middle bit, you know, ninety eight percent of it, I just I can only make up as I go along. It's funny because I mean, looking at this book, I imagine it must have been one which you spent a lot of time planning, and you know, the way that the two stories intertwine, etc. But it's interesting to find that you just kind of went with it and then was it a case of going back afterwards and working out how they'll tie up yeah that's basically it i it's a kind of long-winded way of doing it but it's the only way i can do it that um essentially yeah i I wrote two stories and then went back and and processed them processed them and uh re-engineered this bit took that bit out shoved it in the other story that kind of thing yeah Mm -hmm. it's the only way it works for me and i read uh I mean, you're not the first guest to say this, actually, but I read that you actually <laughs> loathe, maybe that's too strong a word, but you don't enjoy no, the no. writing process. No, no, I loathe it. <laughs> uh, it disgusts me. Um, I, I hate it. Another warning, warning out for, for any new authors, you're going to be spending a lot of time on your laptop, um, <laughs> isolated, unwashed, hungry, uh, wondering, wondering where the next delivery is coming from. <laughs> um it's yeah I, I i don't like sitting at my laptop in in a cold quiet room but it's, it's frankly it's the only way i can actually get any work done 
um i'm very very easily distracted um i'm distracted right now talking to you by the fact that there are cars going past my window um uh, there's probably a pigeon on my roof he's distracting me uh he's he's having an argument with his girlfriend it's i don't know it's about the, the gas bill or something um i'm very easily distracted so the, the the best environment for me uh is basically it's a prison cell um i i'm not talking you know, morally i don't I don't belong in a prison cell. That's not what I'm saying. Um, the whenever I want to get work done, the best way for me to do it historically has been to check into a um, a uh, ho- uh, the cheapest room in the cheapest hotel on Kent Coast that I can find. Mm-hmm. Um, the last one I was in had bed bugs. It was that, that great. Oh, uh, <laughs> for a while, I used to go to um, the. Uh, the Albion uh, Hotel in in Brighton, which is where I work, it's where where I work, wrote the the first words of uh, the Winter Agent. Actually, the very yeah. first words written in the hotel room there, until it burned down two weeks ago. Oh. Um, burned to ground. It's pretty. It's it's this really old historical hotel where kings were stayed. It's featured in uh, Brighton Rock by Graham Greene, and then uh, it just went up in flames a couple of weeks ago. So I'm not going back there. That's a shame. Um, and in the in the process, once you once you have got these drafts and you've you know spent time intertwining these stories and stuff, I mean, how do you deal with editorial feedback and things like that? Has your time in journalism sort of hardened you to yeah, one hundred accepting of these things? Yeah, one hundred percent. I'll tell you what: the the feedback you get from publishing editors is nothing to what you get from <laughs> an editor on a daily newspaper. Um, yeah, I've never been called a bastard by my own editor in, <laughs> in publishing. It's never, never been physically threatened by my book editor. That's good. Uh, uh, yeah, it's um, it's a much softer environment. So yeah, in I, if if anything, I'm always telling my my editors, my book editors, to be a lot harsher because um, harsh feedback is what you need. Like I said earlier, you know praise is very nice but it doesn't actually help you write a better book mm-hmm. and and obviously you've said you don't enjoy or you utterly loathe the writing itself but your books i'm assuming require a lot of research and mm. you know research looking at your previous job your previous books you've obviously done a lot of research on a lot of topics so is that something yeah. you enjoy is that something you're quite quite good not at, really at? um some can be quite interesting it's not as bad as writing um <laughs> some can be quite interesting the um the, the last book the winter agent that was a hell of a lot of research uh because mm. it's set um it's about british uh agents in occupied paris on the eve of d-day so i had to research but it's also set in berlin and london at the same time um, so I had to research conditions in all three cities. I had to research what the hit records were in Berlin at the time, mm-hmm. um, who the most popular film stars were in France in 1944. Uh, I had to learn all about SS uniforms and what insignia they had, uh, the different the air speeds of various British fighter fighter planes. There was a, a lot of research because. If, if there's anyone who's going to write in complaining about you got your, your facts wrong, it's World War Two bus. I'll tell you that. Um, so that that was that was more research than I've ever done before. Um, there was and there was there was one point. I one of the characters is uh, Admiral Canaris, who was the, the who really was the uh, the German head of the Abwehr, which is the the uh, military 
intelligence um, division, um, who was an interesting character, uh, who ended up um, he, he was also he was an towards the end he was actually an anti-Nazi, and he was um, captured by the Nazis and sent to concentration camp, where he was executed by garroting. Uh, in front of oh, a number of other SS officers. Um, anyway, uh, he was an interesting character, and um, I read a biography of him, and the and I found absolutely nothing there of any use for my book whatsoever. So, uh, <laughs> but I wasn't going to waste that. The only thing I found of any interest was that he liked to cook. So, there's there's a scene in the book where which is absolutely trivial irrelevant but where, which mentions that the fact he likes to cook the the only reason it's in the book is so that i so i could get something out of having read a biography of him over four days well um, I, I, yeah i was going to ask that because obviously when you're doing lots of research for these books you don't you know the, the best historical fiction i guess sort of gives you a sense of that time and place but it doesn't just drown you in lots of facts about it so no. how how do you know you know what you want to put in, what what you need to leave out, and that sort of thing. Mm. It is it is quite distressing having to take out really interesting facts that that you've contracted down. Um, but yeah, if you don't, then you are just going. You're basically writing a history book, and you get bogged down, and you just don't get on to the plot, um, which is pity. You know, like at least you no know, twenty percent, I guess, of um, the stuff which of the really interesting historical material you have to take out in the end. I think uh, David Mamet once said um, that writing was easy. You just write good scenes that move the plot along. Sorry, move the story along, is what he said. Um, and and he, he's right. You have to keep moving the story along. Um, you're not writing You're not writing a, a historical textbook you're not writing mm -hmm. a travelogue which in which you just kind of give really interesting color about the place you're you're, you're visiting you are writing a story and it has to keep moving and are you are you setting it you know are you you it's set obviously in a historical time but you're wanting to capture the flavor of it rather you know how accurate do you feel you need to be or is it the story that comes first as long as it's capturing the essence of that time that that is actually a really tricky question. Um, as an example, in in the Winter Agent, um, all these British agents—they're part of the Special Operations Executive, and SOE. Um, in reality, agents would have three different types of code name. Um, they'd have their code name, which is used within uh, SOE itself. They'd have a cover name, which is their kind of local name. They'd have their their own name, of course. Um, the um, but it, if I started referring to um, my characters by three different names in, in different contexts, and you know there are five characters with yeah. three different names, it's just going to become so confusing for for the reader yeah. um, and tedious and tiresome. It, it's in uh, one. It'll be like frankly, it'll be like a nineteenth-century Russian novel where they all have their own name, a patronymic, uh, uh, and a pet name. And a nickname as well, and you never know who you're actually reading about, especially since they, you know, six hundred characters. So um, I had to simplify that, which is historically inaccurate, um, and it was a bit of a wrench for me to do something which I knew was historically inaccurate. But yeah, it would it would just be too jarring and, and too annoying for the reader to be mm -hmm. accurate in that place. And and obviously the tongue glass is 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 out and has received great reviews sunday times bestseller um i remember being down at harrogate this year and there was massive 
walls of it on the in the tent inside you know fantastic yeah. adverts and stuff i mean it's obviously you must be pretty happy with how this book has been received especially compared with your first two then oh yeah over the moon um it's um it's just a, it, it's a great feeling seeing it's basically because my publisher's behind me um mm. um and seeing you know how much effort they're putting into it and how well people are responding to it and it's it's sort of a feedback loop of course that you know the, the more uh, the readers enjoy it. The more publishers get excited about it, the more publishers get excited about it, the more viewers do, and then the more readers read about it. It's it's great, you know, to see it kind of spiraling upwards in in these ways. Um, and yeah, that it means that you know you, you get your your publishers interested in giving you a, a second contract and the next book because it's a two book contract I'm on, so I'm, I'm just finishing off the the edits actually for the second book of that two book contract. Um, and yeah, it means that more people will be interested in this book. And yeah, I'm just really, really happy with the way it's all gone. And and uh, can you give us a hint as to what the next book is is about? And I can tell you exactly what it's about. Um, <laughs> Even better. I, I know a, a lot of writers don't like to kind of mention it. Uh, th- this one's actually um, it's a Sherlock Holmes novel. Oh, okay. um. um uh, haven't decided on the title yet, um, but the uh, hook is that it's um, a book. Uh, it's a story where Holmes and Moriarty have to work together on a case. Okay, well, nice. Yeah. And I mean, how is, you know when you're working on a book like Sherlock Holmes novel, how, how does that work? Do you need to get like invited in? Do you do you ask to be do that, or or is it just no, free? Anyone can do it. There's no. It's now. No, it's out of copyright completely. Um, anyone can write one. You you guys can write one where he's a frog if you want, uh, and <laughs> no one can do anything. Yeah, great. Well, where, when will that one be out then? And all being well, uh, a year, give or take. Excellent. Yeah, we haven't we haven't set a date yet, but usually about usually your second book comes out a year after your first. It's roughly how it works. Has it has it given you? You know, all all your books are are standalones. Has it given you? a sense that you might want to go back to Sherlock Holmes at some point, or is this your Sherlock Holmes story and now you want to do something No, else I, I might I might, I might, might well do a sequel. Um, I'm probably working on a sequel to The Turn Glass, actually. Right, okay. Just have to um, side that with, with my publishers, and they seem pretty open to the idea. Would you want to um, keep the same format, the, the, the two halves? Well, I don't know, to be perfectly honest. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. We'll have to think about that. One thing with the uh, that just struck me with the with the Tepesh, obviously, it's very it, for it to for it to f- have the full impact. It's very much about the physical copy, isn't it? An ebook yeah. of it is not going to be the same thing at all. No, no, and we um, uh, yeah, unless you want to just stand on your head while reading the ebook, <laughs> <laughs> literally, no other way of doing it. We also had this uh, discussion about the audio book. Yeah, the um, the producer. Mm-hmm. Um, wanted to uh, interweave that the different uh, chapters uh, for the audiobook, and my editor and I thought it's going a bit far because it'd be there are some characters who who appear in both stories. So if you're interweaving the stories, two stories, one set in eighteen eighty, one set in nineteen thirty nine, some of the same characters in, it'd be really confusing for for, for listener because they won't know which story they're listening to sometimes because yeah. I just hear you know the same character um so we had to say no you, you'll have to do the do it in chronological order doing the doing the first story the earlier story first 
Um, but yes, it's it's um, you know, much as I, I like print, also I quite like having an e-reader. I've got nothing. A lot of authors, you know, a bit sniffy about them. I've got nothing against them. I quite like it. Um, it is a pity that you know if you read it in the ebook version or listen to the audiobook, you just don't get that sense of, of turning things over. Yeah. Or, uh, and given that the, the book is about, it's a Tet Besh book about Tet Besh books, mm-hmm. um, in a sense, you are you are missing out, you know, quite a lot of the, the story and the point of the book. Mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously, you know, I'm sure I know your answer to, uh, your answer to this question would be there is no right or really? wrong way to read the like, well, mm-hmm. I'm assuming there's no right or wrong way to read, you can read either one in any order, but yeah. you do have to de- have to decide which one you put first because there is, you know, there's still that kind of normal way to hold the book, which you'll yeah. be, and then, and, oh, I suppose you flip it upside down. It's, yeah, there isn't. It's down. either way. Actually, there is no right <laughs> well, way to hold the book. It, yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it is. My little friendly. brain can't hold this concept. Of, uh, it, uh, I'm losing I know what you, I know what you mean. <laughs> I, yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, I suppose in the before. ebook or the audiobook, you're choosing which story to hear. I'd have first. I yeah, suppose. yeah, yeah. In the audiobook and the ebook, we start with the we, we do it in chronological order, so the the earlier story comes first, mm-hmm. simply because you know for most people it's just easier to keep track of what's going on that way. Um, some people do read the, the later story first when they're reading the hardback, and that's fine. Um, and as I said, some people uh, interweave chapters from from each, which is quite an interesting way of doing it. Um, but for most people, they'll, they'll go for the, the earlier story first, which I think is probably uh, certainly an easier way of reading the book. Okay. What was the last book that you read? Well, uh, I have an 18-month-old daughter, so the last book I read was Pepper's Pumpkin Party. <laughs> um, I can recommend to anyone. Uh, it's, it's actually a bit gothic. Uh, you discover <laughs> you still discover that Madame Gazelle is, in fact, a vampire. Um, <laughs> oh, plot twist. Spoilers. I've not actually read that one yet. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> there are Pepper Pig fans out there who have got to come after me now. Um of adult books, um, I recently read uh, an instance of the Finger Post by Ian Pears, which is brilliant, brilliant, brilliant novel. A very clever, um, also kind of plays about with form and format, like my books. Um, so you know, if you like the turn glass, I, I'd recommend an instance of the Finger Post. Um, uh, yeah, the, the I, I tend to read within the genres in which I write. Mm-hmm. So when I when I was writing The Wood Tragent, which is a, a spy novel, I'd read. I was reading Le Carre and I was reading, you know, um, other um, high end spy stories. Um, when I'm writing more sort of gothic stuff, then I'll, I'll read uh, more sort of gothic novels, which an instance of the Finger Post is some gothic mystery. Cool. Um, what about the last film that you watched? Uh, last film I watched. Uh, uh, that would be Hotel Transylvania <laughs> uh, again <laughs> with my daughter. Uh, but it's, it's I mean, it, she wanted vampires. I see. I see. Yeah, it is. Um, it's about Dracula uh, and his uh, his daughter who uh, 
I don't need to go into the plot of Hotel Transylvania. I've seen, I've seen Hotel Transylvania. It's My daughter uh, wandered off, but I, I you know, watched it again. Kept, so. you, kept your attention. That's, that's the main thing. Uh, and, yeah. uh, well, TV show, is that is that Peppa Pig, perhaps? or Quite a lot of Peppa right now. Um, only Murders in the Building, my wife and I. Really enjoy that. It's great fun. Yeah. Um, Steve Martin, back on form after a lot of very dodgy films in the early yeah. 2000s. Not not dodgy in a you know sort of adult kind of way, but just bad bad yes. films. He did a lot of really oh, bad films. Yeah, not yeah, funny, he's, he's, sadly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah. no, he is definitely back on form. But uh, yeah, so recommend that. And uh, the very very last thing we always do is uh, a super quick fire either or, and we always see there's no right answer here apart from perhaps one. But we'll start off with um, the name of the rose, the book, or oh. the film. God, that's that's a really difficult question. Um, I t- I'll, I'll I'll tell you what though, not the not the TV series. Uh, okay. TV series was bad. I didn't know um, it was a TV series. Actually. Yeah, it came out a year ago, two years ago. Oh right, okay. Has a lot of really good actors in, but it's really bad script. And they, the worst thing about it is, is they they added material in just to extend it to six episodes or something. Oh, right. So you, you get Umberto Echo's story, and then you get you know. Johnny Walker's story, who's just this 23-year-old uh, American um, hired in from writing sitcoms yeah. and hasn't got a clue what he's doing. Um, and But, oh God, the film or the book? I, I don't. I, I guess the book. I'm, I'm not snobby about films, and I think The Name of the Rose, the film, is very good. I think it does, uh, for a long book, The Name of the Rose is a long book, um, and you know that they, they pared it down for the film so much. They, you know, just kept in the, the bare bones of the the mystery. Mm-hmm. But what, what's really interesting about one of the really inter- interesting things about the book is that it goes off at such tangents. It goes on about there's a lot of semiology there. There's a lot yeah. of medieval Catholic Church politics and history of uh, uh, heresies, which oh, it just has to be cut out of the book. The film, otherwise, the film would be forty hours long. Um, um, but ah, God, I, I'm I'm going to sit on the fence and say either of them. Horses for courses, whichever you prefer. <laughs> uh, TV or cinema? Cinema is much more fun, I think, than than TV. I think you know, it's such an immersive experience when the lights are off and you you're sitting there with, with your popcorn and yeah, there's someone three rows back talking on their phone. And you have to throw your popcorn at them. <laughs> um, Wonderful. I, I I was called rude once in the cinema for asking someone to shut up, stop talking on their <laughs> yeah, phone. I, I, I'm, I, I'm a bit of a, a cinema Nazi. Um, I'm not sure if you're allowed to call yourself that anymore. But yeah, I hate people talking in cinemas. I just, it's like one of my, I, I very, really get angry about stuff, but that I really cannot stand. I mean, I remember mm. going to see Lost World Jurassic Park and someone had an apple and ate an apple in the, and it's so loud. I just thought that was incredibly rude. It wasn't yeah. a great film. Yeah. I, it was also a shit well, film. I, it didn't help. Yeah. That didn't help. I just couldn't understand. It. I mean, why did she come to the cinema and just spend half an hour talking on the phone know, to a friend? I know. What's the point? Anyway, go on. Um, night owl or early bird? Well, it used to be a night owl, but until my daughter arrived, and now I'm, it's five thirty or six a.m. starts. Um, <laughs> I used to be. Yeah, my my previous um, life was going to bed between twelve and one a.m getting up about nine um but now it's getting up at 6 a.m and going to bed at 9 30. Yeah. <laughs> uh music or no music when you're writing none uh 
yeah, I have to basically have sensory deprivation. I I sit um, in the quietest, most boring place I can with headphones on playing uh, white noise to block out any sound. Uh, and the last one, real book or ebook? book yeah, Do you know what? I quite like e-books. I think uh, sitting there with, you know, my book with turn glass aside, which doesn't work in ebook. Um, I quite like uh, sitting with um, an e-reader, you know, with um, because it's lit. Um, I can read it in, can hold it in one hand. It's more comfortable. Um, yeah, I go for e-books. Very Screw glad you to listen to this. Very few authors are on the same side as us, Gareth. So yeah. I'm, yeah. That's. I think we're up to six now. So that's that's. Nice. <laughs> So I, I, I laughed at you last week, Tarek, when you said that the e-books were catching up, but we've suddenly got two in a row. I don't think that's ever go. happened Momentum's before. Momentum's building. It's just that I can feel my people around me now. This is it. Uh, you've selected these guests very well. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah, pre, I, pre, I pre-check before they come on. Yeah, exactly. Send them a little questionnaire. Um, the, thanks very much to Gareth for taking the time to come on. I really enjoyed that chat. And, yeah, um, it was great. I, I thought really interesting. Obviously, the whole concept of a tech bash novel, I think, is really interesting. I'm always, I always like books that play with form and structure, things like yes, House of Leaves I, and things like I that. Agree, um, but the, 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 when he pointed out that noir and gothic really are kind of inversions of each other, which I hadn't hadn't ever occurred to me before. No, but, I hadn't thought about, that, thought about it in that way either. But uh, I thought that was really interesting. And now he's going on to write a Sherlock Holmes story as well, which oh, is quite very cool. cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and also interesting how much he hates writing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just can't be out of there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which, uh, to be fair, I think a lot of writers will feel some th- at some point. Yes, but... especially that, that first draft, I think, is the it's painful. Isn't well, it? some people really hate the redrafting bit as well. You know, writers yeah. all seem to have their... Although everyone seems to hate about 30,000 words into their book. There is that psychological wall, which yeah, is just terrible. Yeah. Do I find that kind of that moment of this is the worst book in the world, it's not working, always comes very soon after the feeling of this is the best book anyone's ever written. This is amazing. <laughs> and you go for it, it's like dizzying high. I think that's why it feels so bad because you've been so high and then it's like, no, it's shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, it, the, the trick is to push through to the end because by then yes. you probably think, oh, it's all right. I'll send this yeah. off to my agent. Hopefully, after two months in a, in a drawer, you're like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, actually, this is incredible yeah, again, exactly. It's, it's, it's a wonderful circle. Um, but yeah, no, um, if you haven't read The Turn Glass, highly recommend that you can pick that up now. I'll put a link in the podcast description for that. But thanks very much to Gareth for coming on to the podcast. Um, next week, as I hinted at at the start, we have not one but two guests. We do have two guests. Cassandra Caw and Richard Cadry are our two guests next week, uh, both of whom are very successful authors, writers in their own right, mm-hmm. uh, writ- having written for various uh, outlets, video game outlets. They've written non-fiction books. They've written articles in Wired, Interzone, etc. They've written horror novels, short stories. They've won awards. Really two massively successful authors and are now collaborating on a book called Dead Take the A-Train, yeah. um, which is out at the end of October. Um, so yeah, it's a very exciting uh, chat we have with them. Yeah, no, uh, always interesting to hear, especially we've, uh, we've spoken to authors before who have collaborated. Um, yeah, but never but both of them together. Never at the same time. Yeah, so interesting right. to hear the process and, and how they went went through that, which turned out to be basically they both write a book 
and then yeah. <laughs> both write the same book and then they have to, try to merge them together. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it, it's a great chat. So please do join us for that one. Um, if you enjoyed this week's episode, please do take the time to rate and review us on your favourite podcast app as that always helps us to continue to get great guests. And I'm going to pause at this moment here to say something we should have said at the very start of the episode, which is congratulations to Marco, who has now signed with the wonderful Francesca at Kate Nash as an agent. Thank you very Very much. Yes, it's been a very, very long journey to get here. But, you know, I am the embodiment of what we say on the podcast. Absolutely. Genuinely, that's exactly it. You you have to keep going and uh, eventually someone else get sicky and say yes so, but so. It, it totally just does prove the point isn't it that like everyone who lonely writers that don't get published are the ones that stop trying like yeah just it's about just continually putting stuff out there that's um, right and, and for those that aren't aware of how marco got his agent it was a pitch competition he did at the, the, the bloody scotland festival and he pitched his uh upcoming historical thriller novel um and there was an agent in the audience who listened to it and liked it and then wanted to chat to him further about it. So it just shows you that you never know, you know, what an opportunity might bring and you might think, oh, this is a waste of time doing this competition or whatever. Go for it because you never know who's listening. A hundred percent. I mean, I, I think in, in all seriousness, what I would take out of that and what I would say to everyone is that if you have the opportunity to pitch or talk to someone about your writing directly that is involved in the industry, whether it's an editor or an agent, um, take it because it it, oh, it yeah. gives you you know you skip over all the slush piles it gives you an opportunity to speak directly to that person um doesn't always mean that it's going to end up in in a, some you know someone saying they want to take you on but uh you've you know what is it they say you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take hundred percent yeah hundred percent and 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 you go to these things there's, there's always the people the agents are there they're looking for people, you know. They're they're there for the reason of is there anyone here that I might like? So yep. yeah, there's it's hundred percent. Take that shot. Yeah, always worth it. So um, now I I was actually picked up on on the basis of partially finished manuscripts, and now I need to actually finish the rest of the book, so. which, as we all know, is the worst part. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As Gareth <laughs> says, that's that's the really bad part. I have to actually write it, but yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, thanks for mentioning that. Um, but. Uh, and yeah, how can people get in touch with us, Tarek? Well, if folk would like to get in touch uh, to say congratulations to Marco and send us a question, they can always do so via our email address, which is podcast at rightgear.co.uk, or they can get in touch via the variety of social media platforms. Just search for at UK page one, unless you are the one person out there who's still using Mastodon, <laughs> in which case it's writing.exchange forward slash at page one pod. But otherwise, have a great week and we will speak to you next episode. See you later.